Welcome to Data Protection Gumbo, Season 2, Episode 2, and I am Demetrius Malbro, your host and Chief Data Protection Chef, and I am honored to bring you more gumbo of insights and information about data protection today. And today on Data Protection Gumbo, it is my pleasure to introduce Val Berkovici, co-founder of Paratus AI, which is a leading AI-driven data center supportability startup. And for over 25 years, Val has pioneered new storage, database, analytics, DevOps, and cloud technologies at AT&T, NCR Teradata, and EMC. And most recently, Val was the CTO of NetApp and SolidFire. I would like to apologize for some mobile phone interference with clicking noise at minutes 3, 7, and 28. Once again, I apologize. Thank you so much for listening and enjoy the show. Welcome to the Gumbo, Val. How are you doing today? Doing wonderful, Demetrius. It's really great to be on for my first time. It is awesome to have you on because in this segment of the show kind of represents something new that uh, no one else is really, really talking about right now, especially when you're introducing data protection uh, into the ball game as well. So let's just go ahead and jump right in. And I have several questions for you, and I'm sure the listeners are very excited to hear exactly what you have to say. So I guess first off, um, can you, I guess, give us the elevator pitch or, you know, of what your company, Paratus AI, does? Let's start with that. So Paratus, uh, for those of you that aren't current on their Latin, actually stands for expert in Latin. And contrasting a bit with some of the virtual assistant and chatbot technology that's becoming pretty popular in the consumer and business space today, we're a kind of a complement to that technology. We're a virtual expert. So we try and go deep as opposed to wide. And our expertise as first scope of target market that we're targeting is actually data center systems, so engineered systems, software platforms and software-defined data centers, white boxes, switches, routers, you know, servers, everything underneath an application that needs tech support in a data center. We believe that we can apply expertise in a virtual and effectively unlimited sense to resolve those problems. Okay, great. So software-defined data center, that that one kind of stood out to me a little bit, and also tech support because I'm actually doing tech support, right? So <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a really cool thing to do. You just really have to make sure you are sharp. You just uh, may be one of our first beta testers now. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> you just volunteered. All right. So let's see. So jumping back on to artificial intelligence. So do you think that AI can really play a significant role in data protection and backup and recovery? Absolutely. You know, we've literally bet the company on it. And it's uh, because we're seeing when you start to track the space very, very closely, you're seeing that there's a couple of things going on. One of which is simply tremendous advances in the data science itself. There's a, you know, uh, when we talk about AI, If I were to go on a rant, which we'll do later if we have time, but we're not talking about really artificial intelligence in the generic sense that Skynet and, you know, robots and and software bots will just take over our lives and take over humanity like the Matrix or Terminator. Uh, It's very much task oriented. You know, if we were to be technical about it, I would call it artificial inference. And specifically, the advances we're talking about are both on the virtually unlimited compute side available, enabled by the cloud, and so on the machine learning side, we're able to apply you know, enormous amounts of 
CPU and GPU graphics processing resources with better math, better math calculations on a per transistor basis. Nearly unlimited resources are tackling some of the very challenging computational problems associated with machine learning. And then, of course, big data, that trend that's about 10 plus years old right now. As we've gone from being able to gain more insights and made big data more operational, the, the, really the next evolution of big data is deep learning. It's doing even more with your data. And it's beginning to now simulate specific human tasks and expertise. Um, the, the combination of those things, those great advances, and then, of course, the fact that they're accessible and economic. You no longer have to have a giant research lab with a multi-million dollar government funding to, able to be able to do these things. It's the classic swipe your credit card for about a buck an hour, and you can begin to train some algorithms to automate a task that is otherwise mundane, repetitive, or, or too expensive nowadays to, to be performed by a human. Okay, great. So we're already at question number two, and I've, I've already learned some new acronyms and buzzwords that I didn't know about, so <laughs> I, I appreciate you extending my vocabulary here. Not at all. Not like I need any more um, acronyms in my world. <laughs> <laughs> You're in tech. It's, it's, it's the bane of our existence, isn't it? Absolutely. So tell us a little bit about, I guess, the automated orchestration of incident resolution. So you mentioned tech support and the advancement in data science and that is task-oriented. So I also know that, that this is just really, really and very important for the data center today uh, because most companies are digital. And if they're not digital, then they're going to get pushed out um, by all, the, all of the other companies that are going digital right now because you're kind of forced to do that. So just kind of give us a little bit more information about you know, the automated orchestration and how, how your incident resolution works. Well, I mean, you're diving right into the heart of, of what we're doing here, which is great. So if we take just a little bit of a step backwards, and we talked about companies, you know, transitioning towards, um, towards being digital, where it used to be that, you know, some data supported the business, and in many cases, companies are realizing now that data is the business. Digital transformation is a pretty broad, you know, term, you know, a lot of marketing hype around that. And there's the, the cool thing about the, the market segment that we've targeted is it's actually very, very data-rich. As you know yourself, uh, tech support systems, whether they're done professionally or semi-professionally, uh, have a lot of documentation associated with them in terms of just reading up and boning up on the actual product features and, and capabilities via manuals, best practice guides, in a, in a multi-vendor, in a multi-vendor or layered stack sense, you've got interoperability guides and and configuration best practices and so forth. And then you've got case notes. When you actually look at prior cases of what's happened when people have called in or, or otherwise used chatbots to request help, you've got collaboration notes between the engineers that actually go ahead and fix a problem. The case notes are the official record between the customer and the provider of support. You've also got a lot of machine data, a lot of telemetry. Machines tend to spew out to various degrees, uh, quite a, a, lo a lot of log and event information. And the root of all of these things, of course, are those nasty software bugs. And so you've got Jira and Perforce and all sorts of cool bug tracking systems out there that you know, contain a lot of wealth of information with regards to the semantics and the functionality of how something was supposed to behave, how it misbehaved, how it got resolved, perhaps some other you know, collateral damage of resolving the first bug and and really stamping out the resulting bugs and the fix and so forth. That sum total is an enormous amount of structured and semi-structured information. 
And we've seen in the past knowledge systems and expert systems that have attempted to accumulate all that knowledge. And that really is still one of the foundational things we do is we just gather and suck up all this documentation, all these logs as much as we can and consolidate it, curate it, really index it and, and develop another term that may be new to you that was new to me when I was learning about artificial intelligence and machine and deep learning. We create these behavioral ontologies. And that means we begin to organize the information, categorize the information, figure out the lexicon of, you know, how people describe their capabilities and product manuals, how they collaborate with each other and with customers in terms of identifying issues and prioritizing them and resolving them. So we, we, we do what a lot of systems have done in the past, which is gather all that knowledge and expertise. And then the magic, as you said, on the workflow side, you know, artificial intelligence is nothing else. The elevator pitch for artificial intelligence for a business person is it automates decision-making, which means that once you have domain expertise and you've gathered up information and built some knowledge models around that, what's really cool about machine learning and deep learning today is we're able to now build these cognitive models and look at, a, look at a, the flowchart of a workflow. Tech support, if nothing else, is probably a set of almost infinitely customizable workflows that you follow to triage and diagnose issues and then categorize, prioritize them, and then ultimately assign them to an expert and resolve them and verify with the customer they've been resolved. And every one of those workflows has you know, flowcharts with decision, decision points in them. And what's changed recently is the ability to apply machine and deep learning, run through those workflows, and at every decision point, apply effectively inference, you know, apply that simulated human expertise that you've gathered up with by sucking up all that documentation and machine data and making the right decision at every trigger point in that flowchart so that you can automate the execution of any particular workflow to triage and, and diagnose, assign, and resolve problems. And because, you know, the bots never sleep and, and uh and they don't take breaks and things like that, and, and you can clone them uh, at will. You can literally apply just a lot of affordable, accessible resources now towards gaining the domain knowledge, training these models. Uh, you know, they're also called neural networks or knowledge graphs, and then applying them to really any arbitrary set of workflows that they can be trained on to make the right decision at each one of those flowchart junction points and proceed down the workflow until perhaps the point where we do need to have an actual human expert, typically an escalation engineer in our context, come in, have a lot of context up front, and perhaps bring a case to resolution. But it's, it's all these workflows now that are no longer daunting, that you no longer have to anticipate every single one of them and code them in if-then-else statements, if, if this, then that. You can literally let you know, a neural network process the workflows and through the power of now digital inference make the right decision almost all the time through the workflow and, and get through it increasingly uh, 100% of the time because these are compound environments, compound benefit environments. The more they go through one workflow and learn whether it worked or not, the better they are the next time. The more they observe an expert, such as an escalation engineer with years of experience, they observe the, uh, um, the escalation expert perhaps triage and diagnose and categorize, prioritize, and resolve issues, the more they learn and again they just get better and better every single time they observe what works and what doesn't work both are equally valuable wow okay so a couple things that stood out so it seems like you you're really going to be capturing a lot of information so you're going to have your 
own big data store on the background here because capturing all the logs, all of the information uh, from, let's say, the system that you're connecting to, um, and also maybe even teaching the system, or you said the system actually learns about that information so it can provide a better or more efficient workflow. That's, That's right. Um, it's going to be a lot of, lot of data there. So um, it, it absolutely is. And we're trying to, of course, not boil the ocean alone here. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the slides I often present, and I'll try and visualize it for your listeners here, is, is a context slide. So in, in any well-run IT environment, you've got sort of a service lifecycle management system, an ITSM system. And what supports that service is often a set of applications or perhaps even microservices if they're modern applications today. You've got a lot of ITSM software such as ServiceNow, which can manage service life cycles. It's very well known and accepted. You've got a lot of what we call application performance monitoring or APM solutions, such as ScienceLogic, AppDynamics, it's just what just bought New Relic, which is popular with DevOps folks. You've got a lot of those environments monitoring the quality of service of the application, perhaps in support of an overall you know, a service lifecycle management where you're, you're worried about uh, adhering to SLAs and, and figuring out that you, you're continuously either meeting or not and, and billing accordingly. So you've got layers of the stack in terms of managing an overall service lifecycle at the top. You've got other key layers in terms of managing the application layer and the quality of service of that application and fundamentally the availability of that application and, and looking at thresholds that are hit or not hit. And then underneath that, you've got a whole category of supporting environments. You've got platform software, other system software, including perhaps databases and big data environments. And, of course, just um, you know, core, core infrastructure in the form of these um, you know, engineered systems or white box environments with open source software. All the layers underneath an application are what we call core infrastructure. And what we're looking at doing at Paratus is taking what used to be a human service, which was the support you know, of that core infrastructure, particularly as things went off the tracks, off the rails, and, and didn't behave according to plan and, and, and had a direct impact on the applications and the service. Taking that you know, previously human-powered service and transforming it into a digital product. And the transformation isn't happening just because we can now affordably gather all this data, which, as you correctly observed, is an enormous amount of data. The transformation, we believe, or the, the revolution here is what we call a cognitive disruption more so than a digital disruption. And that's, a, a, you know, uh, if you take a look at all the popular VCs uh, out here in the Valley, they'll tell you one sure strategy for making money is to find an industry that hasn't really been digitally transformed. It's very manual today and, uh, and just digitize it. And, and that's how you end up being, you know, one of these category disruptors. And we think that the accessibility of this new artificial intelligence technology nowadays is going to create this whole new category of cognitive disruption where you can now emulate, actually I should say simulate more than emulate, but simulate human expertise in certain specific domains where you can train your algorithms. And once you've done that, you can cognitively disrupt entire industries. We believe that the the very manual and, and custom centric sort of everyone's a snowflake workflow and tech support is ripe for cognitive disruption because you can have all this data and you can afford to now crunch it through and develop your knowledge graphs and neural networks to automate workflows. Right, right. Yeah, and that, that reminds me of Bitcoin. Um, you know, no, no one really thought uh-huh. that, that money was actually going to go digital. But there you uh, go. I'm sure it started with credit cards and 
the little chip that you see on your on your visa card that you know you enter into the machine and then it does some signal sending in the background and then it beeps that you says to remove the card but i'm kind of sidetracking a little bit but um so, so talking it's a great observation but yeah, yeah. talking about you know, we, we... talking about money though so let's let's say i'm the cio and one of the most important things from an it perspective is that they want to know how much it's going to cost or what's the savings so how does your platform save companies money and time there's actually, you know, when we, when we do talk about money, I actually love to bring up two things. How do we affect the bottom line in this case where we're starting the, the discussion, but also how we can affect the top line. Uh, on the bottom line, it's really about operational efficiencies. So there's, um, as a customer, you want, you want a frictionless support experience. You want your vendors to provide that. And as a customer, you definitely want to just minimize uh, the uh, unplanned outages and unplanned downtime. So you want to minimize all the unplanned costs and expenses associated with unplanned downtime. Um, as a vendor, who is really our initial target customer, vendors that support their systems and data centers, you have a fairly large operational cost to establish your call centers, to staff up all your domain experts, to, to hire managers to actually orchestrate these workflows and assign support cases and so forth. So there's a lot of OPEX savings. I also like to remind people that, as you know, tech support and technical knowledge, domain expertise, isn't fungible, which means if you've got level one and level two, you know, technicians that can answer phones and, uh, you know, um, either escalate to domain experts in level three, level four, or, or simply point people towards websites to, to find documentation to answer simple questions, those initial set of L1, L2 engineers can't be easily, you know, uh, converted to L3, L4 engineers or you can't automatically assign them uh, more complex tasks. But your experts are valuable and scarce resources, and you want to really optimize the utilization of those valuable and, and scarce resources by not overloading them with, with you know, repetitive, trivial tasks. Uh, these are all things that contribute to just, you know, more efficient running of, uh, of customer support environments. Uh, but the really big impact is actually on the top line, we find, because traditional support entitlements you know, have what we call a very coarse-grained coarse granularities, which means the unit of delivery of support has historically been tied to a human and time-slicing a human, you know, how much you know, time you can afford to have a human uh, listen to your case, figure it out, and then solve it for you. And now you can sell in what we call micro-entitlement, which are the fact that you can have virtual experts now continuously monitoring your environment uh, advising you as things are about to go off the rails, and when they do, quickly triaging and diagnosing what your problem is, uh, perhaps resolving it, even if it's been a complicated problem that's been documented somehow in the past through the power of inference. And then ultimately, uh, if it can't be resolved, giving your escalations engineer full context so they can quickly get up to speed and resolve the issue versus have to relearn what's happening in the environment all over again which is kind of a frustrating experience for a customer and a costly, time-consuming experience for the vendor. So the ability to basically sell you know, micro-entitlements, sell portions of expertise, uh, democratize some previously white-glove, high-touch services that could only be delivered by field engineers on-site, you know, do that more virtually on and off-site, uh, that it creates a whole new set of revenue streams in the support services business and 
fundamentally, that's what got me excited about this opportunity is as we transform a human service into a digital product, uh, you're able to really license that and consume that in so many new ways that really weren't possible before. Okay, and you, you, you may have provided some answers on this one already, but I, I really would like for you to walk us through the flow of your NLP alerting system. And just want to give a quick scenario. So, you know, you, so there are tons of uh, backup, backup and recovery administrators and data protection and storage uh, engineers that listen to the show. So just a quick scenario. So let's say you have a uh, critical Oracle database that, that goes down and it, it needs to be restored. It's in the middle of the night. Um, and typically tech support will either get the alert or some variation of tech support, or maybe even no, yeah. no one knows about it, right? So does your platform raise the flag before the database goes down, or is it seconds afterwards? You know, what's, what's the response on that or the speed? It's kind of a, a binary question. I think if our platform is active, uh, it, will, it will, you know, raise flags in terms of certain thresholds that are, are appearing to be neared before something really goes critical. And then once a certain threshold is exceeded, we'll kind of, you know, be activated right away. But let, let's, uh, I, I really love that tangible use case. So let's see if we can walk through it. Um, you're probably going to have uh, at least a reporting app, if not, you know, if it's a transactional database, some kind of transactional app that is actually, you know, consuming the database services in the form of creating transactions or reporting on them. And that app, as I mentioned earlier on, in our sort of three-layer stack of service management layers, application monitoring layers, and then supportability layers at the bottom of the core infrastructure, somewhere in the middle of that, you're going to have an app that initially has you know, increasingly slow transaction times, the higher latency, and or just increasing, increasingly slow reporting time. So let's take you know, one scenario, which is not the only possible scenario, because you can have a sudden outage with no warning. But let's take something that's more common where you've seen, oh, you know, um, perhaps over the course of 24 hours, just increasing latencies on database response time. So what would happen there is you'd have the application monitoring solution trigger a threshold alert saying we, we've now crossed, let's use the, the mythical Amazon 130 millisecond latency. We've now crossed that threshold and response times are no longer pleasing to humans because they're waiting too long for their queries. Once that's happened, we can kick off a workflow. So we can have the application performance monitoring solution kick off a service management workflow through ServiceNow by digitally through an API programmatically opening up a ticket. And ServiceNow can basically say, hey, you know what? I've actually got a, a diagnostic service at my disposal right now in the form of Paratus. So the first thing I'm going to do is since this seems to be a performance problem with this Oracle database that's reported by this at least one app, I'm going to programmatically instantiate Paratus, and I'm going to tell it, look, here's, a, you know, here's the context of the problem. It was just opened up by the monitoring solution. Begin a triaging a diagnostic workflow. And Paratus here will not necessarily try and boil the ocean. So we're not going to have our own copy of every log and our own copy of every event or so forth. If there's a Splunk environment, again, if there's a science logic or New Relic or AppDynamics environment that's already done log capture and monitoring, we'll programmatically invoke them. We'll query all the information we need. And in many cases, we will already have been doing that in the background. So it's not like we're caught unprepared or we're activated. We will have done a lot of work in the background and we'll have seen a combination of factors 
will have seen perhaps the configuration management database change over time and drift further and further away from a known good state to uh, a set of configurations that are you know further and further towards a known bad state. We'll have had this log data and some event data available to us, and we'll get the latest version as we're instantiated by the service management platform. And we'll basically apply it through one of our many or several of our many cognitive models. We're going to look at symptoms, but we're going to look at all sorts of data sources simultaneously. So we can actually take a policy. You know, we can either apply a policy or or make the determination if we're authorized at that point that we've seen in the past when this occurs that this reconstruct either will fail or certainly won't complete in time to to get the query response lines back online. So we're just going to go ahead and and you know find a find a, a continuous you know um, continuous recovery point system pick the last known good consistent recovery point particularly for the index make sure it corresponds to the the data tables correctly and programmatically restore from that and all the while reporting status to the service management system so that as the ticket progresses it knows what's happening uh, all that can be automated and it can be automated even if we haven't seen those exact instances before but we've seen similar root causes as exposed by various symptoms that can match or not. That's, you know, what a human expert would do. A human expert would recognize, it would, would look beneath the symptoms, would look at some of the root causes, would understand the implications of, you know, uh, indexes being kind of offline and what that means to a database, would understand, you know, what a, what a reconstruct going south and going bad looks like and, and figure out that it's more expedient particularly for an index volume, to restore that than to just wait for a long reconstruct that may not finish anymore. All that expertise can be captured now. That domain knowledge can be captured. And that workflow, which is, I would say, moderately complex, that we, you know, there's probably more complex workflows we can invent, that workflow can have decisions automated at every one of the trigger points in a flowchart. And, and that would really be how we would take action, report up to the ITSM system, and ultimately, you know, still always leave it uh, open for human interpretation at the end, whether it's an operator or an end customer. Has the issue been resolved? You know, is the index back online? Is it returning queries faster? Is the app back below the threshold that triggered the initial case? All those things, um, you know, we won't automatically resolve. That's where Skynet kind of kicks in. We'll have humans confirm that, yes, you know, uh, all of these corrective actions as evidence to the service now workflow have occurred, and the end result is either better than before or still not good enough, and we can, we can continue to escalate to automated or human processes until, of course, the end user marks, marks that, uh, you know, okay, now the case can be closed because response times are back to where they expect them to be within the SLA. Okay, great. So uh, let's, let's start to wrap up here a little bit, and um, you, you mentioned a, a lot of really interesting things here. And I like the word human, human expert. So that, that human expert um, is, is, I guess, an individual who's really, really smart at doing one thing, but may not be as smart in something else. But this kind of kind of reminds me of ransomware. Now you have this WannaCry virus, right? Yeah. The one that kind of went through the entire um, U.S. Uh, probably really swiftly um, several weeks ago. But. This kind of reminds me of a, if, if I guess someone had a system like yours, then they would actually be able to uh, kind of stop ransomware in its tracks or at least minimize that damage that's going to happen. Would you say so? Yeah, I would say we'd be part of the solution, right? So there'd be other sort of thresholding applications, probably some security applications also deploying AI 
that would detect something going wrong. And there'd be all sorts of alerting and probably multiple workflows if you're a larger company and multiple people are reporting problems at the same time across different sites. Multiple workflows through a, a service management layer like ServiceNow being instantiated, we would actually be able to take a look at all those as we're activated to try and resolve the problem and say, these three things happening in Jakarta and Paris and in Toronto are actually all pretty much the same thing. Uh, and, and we could be the ones that figure out that, yeah, there was a snapshot that we can go back to. And, uh, and we could be the ones that actually restore, you know, the data to the last known good snapshot state. Uh, but we'd be reporting up back to the service management layer. Uh, we'd be advising it to consolidate, you know, multiple open tickets into one core problem. And the service management layer ultimately would have to manage the workflows of coordinating the security, you know, the firewall systems like Palo Alto and so forth to make sure that they're notified that, yeah, we acknowledge that this is a breach. We acknowledge that we know what the signature of this breach is, and we acknowledge that there's a service that's actually gone ahead and triaged the problem and, and offered to restore data to the last known good state. You know, should we should we let the service continue to do that or not? Or should we now, as, as we prepared the entire context, assign it over to an expert, you know, level three technician and have him or her actually make the final call? Thank you, Zol Demetrius, for the platform and the opportunity to really uh, explain our, our, our new market category. We believe it is a new market category. Uh, explain how we think it could be cognitively disrupted and, uh, and be able to walk through some real-world use cases. So uh, we're very grateful for the opportunity. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to Data Protection Gumbo. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Until next time, have a great week.